Welcome to No Password Required, a monthly conversation that gives you an up-close and personal look at the world of cybersecurity. Hello and welcome to No Password Required, a podcast dedicated to exploring the minds and personalities that make up the field of cybersecurity. I'm your host, Ernie Farresso, and with me, as always, is Jack Clabby, a cybersecurity attorney at Carlton Fields PA in Tampa. On the podcast today, we'll chat with Debbie Janicek, cyber threat management leader and technology executive at Wells Fargo. Debbie is passionate about practicing mindfulness and appreciating nature to help her stay grounded within the chaos of the ever-changing cybersecurity world. While her day-to-day work life can be hectic at times, her elite team and extensive leadership experience ensures that the job always gets done. At her core, Debbie is an outdoors woman who loves conquering the mountains of Colorado with her sidekick, her dog, Jack. And speaking of a guy named Jack, hello to my co-host, Jack Clabby. Jack, how are you, sir? I'm great, Ernie. Today, uh, Jack, it used to be a very common name as a nickname for John, and, and now it's being as likely to be attached to dogs as it is to humans. So, you know what? I feel like that's good for all the Jacks of the world who are humans. I think this is a case of rising tide lifts all boats. The, the good news, though, about the name is that it, everyone knows how to pronounce it, right? It That's true. It doesn't admit of many, uh, many uh, different interpretations. So one thing we're going to talk about today Speaking right, of that. raises that issue. So <laughs> yes. uh, this relates to the takedown of Alpha Bay. So Alpha Bay was one of these uh, marketplaces on the dark net, sort of like a Silk Road, uh, that, where you could buy everything from you know, allegedly, you could buy everything from your know, rocket launchers to names of uh, username and password pairs yep. for, for thousands of, of credit cards. And it came out of the community, the carding community, that was really obsessed with this idea of figuring out a way to make fraudulent charges to credit cards. And one of the, the prime players in that, who so it was taken down in 2017. This is years ago now, and, and that is a lifetime in the world of the dark web, uh, or so I'm told. And one of the major players who escaped it was the number two admin for the site. And he goes by DeSnake. And that's a name that we've all seen many times in print, but it could go in many different directions. Is it DeSnake, DeSnake? But it is, in fact, DeSnake. So I poked around a little bit to try to find a pronunciation guide for it. And I wonder if like the, all these handles that are out there for these dark web guys, like, are they upset that folks might not be pronouncing it correctly because you know, they've replaced an, an E with a three or an L with a one? Well, that, and that's that's actually it's funny you put it like that because are these are these meant to be pronounced, are the, or are they just meant for the visual you're looking at the word? Because like I said, if they replace the the uh, the e with a three, how do you? How, I mean, do we do you say three, or do you, is, you does you pronounce it as an e? I, I, this uh, is just to me. This is just another argument for folks to stop reading books and simply uh, listen to podcasts. Because then you just pronounce it the way they do, and there's never any of these question marks. Yeah, I would I would advocate for listen listen to more podcasts. I think that's a I think. I think but there's but there was a big article in Wired I think uh, a couple yeah. weeks ago uh, by Andy Greenberg, and it's an outstanding piece of uh, of journalism. It raises some ethical questions, I think, for for those of yeah. us in the cybersecurity community. But they they verified so Alpha Bay is back up and running, and it's being run by the Snake, who escaped. You know, he, he gave a candid interview via secure text message to uh, to Wired, and he's answering. Quite, I mean, he's throwing his old partner under the bus. 
Yeah. He's talking about, essentially he's using it as advertising, a brilliant piece of advertising where DeSnake is explaining all the benefits of getting back on Alphabay versus some of the existing competitors. He talks about, you know, the security features they have, how he's got a program in development where if it was ever taken down, all the money would be released and sent yeah. to servers. And, I mean, just tremendous. Uh, the, the piece that's, to me, the most interesting from this is that he is not accepting Bitcoin or other forms of that's crypto. Right. He wants yeah. to get paid in Monero. And that's a crypto I wasn't as familiar with, Ernie. Yeah, I'm not as familiar with I, I know it's one of the newer ones. Um, but... Yeah, but I wanted he was concerned about it mostly or wanted to go that because uh right. because law enforcement has become more adept at uh, at tracking other forms of cryptocurrencies. So. Right. So like a Bitcoin part of the great thing about a Bitcoin is that there's 100% visibility as to where it goes. You can verify a transaction and that lets everybody see where yeah. the Bitcoin goes over time. And so if there's a bunch of criminals working together, you can see okay, a, a big chunk of money comes in and then it fractures out um, like a tree, expanding its roots to give the final money to everyone here. Now, law enforcement still needs something to go get it from the place it eventually ends up. They need the code to get into that private wallet at the end of it, but they know what private wallet it's in. So Monero, um, which I, so I was, I was on with a client yesterday and I kept mispronouncing it or, as Moneda. And Moneda is a you know, a financial services company that has nothing to do with Monero, <laughs> which is both spelled and pronounced differently. Both. Uh, so, no, it is, Mon- it is Monero. But it, this, this Wired article looks like an advertisement for, Mon- for Monero. Yeah, yeah. I wonder, well, I wonder if, the, if, if the guy's getting a little bit of, like, well, he's probably owns a few of uh, Monero. That would be awesome. Or whatever he's, he's yeah. Only, yeah, he's only in Dutch tulips. That's his only investment right now. That's, that's right. He's, he's long on Dutch tulips and, uh, and, and Banksy artwork. <laughs> That's right. You know, stuff that has inherent value. Yeah, so it's, I, <laughs> but, but this, I mean, look, it, it's fascinating. It's great reading. If you haven't read, find this article um, in, in Wired and, and, and check it out. Because, I mean, but it, this is really, I mean, this is like finding a kidnapper or something and, and interviewing the guy and then publishing yeah. it. And I, there's a huge, huge public journalism value to something like that. But, you know, they're having uh, web researchers validate that it's really him. Uh, yeah, sort of oh, exactly. Commenting on the opsec that he's using to, to come up with this, but these, um, you know, it, it, I think bad guys were still able to get uh, all the, all the rocket launchers. <laughs> exactly, they could get as many rocket launchers as they wanted, yeah. as they wanted. But this is just great that there's this aspect of customer service that isn't really available with sort of in-person fencing of stolen goods, uh, and the yeah. way they talk about it is really something. And there's there's also you know dark web chat chat sites where the competing, um, you know, the, the eBay, dark web eBays are, are competing with one another uh, yeah. to try to say that. And, and, and it's really uh, giving law enforcement something to just, as much as these guys say they're OPSEC, they're having these conversations about the relative benefits that I think are giving quite a bit away. Well, that, I think you, that's, that's, that's really interesting. You mentioned it, yeah, because he's talking about um, – the exact all the different features that he's going to that that are so so called in, included in this new in his new platform, um, and that and then in order to uh, validate those things, he's got to talk more and more about it because people are like, "There's no way he's doing that. That can't happen. That doesn't." <laughs> and he's, "Oh yeah, well I'm doing it this, this, and this." And, yes. and of course, if you're sitting on the other side, okay, so no, no, I got to go check here, here, and here. And then the other part that I think is really I don't want to say funny, but it's the uh, 
they're talking about how oh he's got to be he's got to be on the take he's he's yeah. he's a mole he's on a take they got him he's working for the feds now because you know he couldn't have gone he was hiding for so long and now he's back how do we know it's him so there um, was speculation right the first yeah. time around that these guys were Russians and then the one who was arrested was arrested in Thailand and you know the idea was were they just pretending that they were Russians to lead everyone off a false scent and and now I think that's what the community is 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 saying maybe yep. he, you gotta take it with a grain of salt because it's his competitors who are saying it but they're saying that that the snake may be working a Russian um, intelligence operation to try to capture some of these guys, which, yeah. you know, it, s- skeptical is maybe maybe how I would take that um, in terms of what these folks are doing. But this idea, too, that bad guys wouldn't, you know, that the bad guys in Alpha Bay five years ago would not sell, if they knew it was Russian resident um, PII, they wouldn't sell it. And that, I think, I think law enforcement confirmed that. And, you know, if... That's a pretty nice piece of the market there that you're giving up if you're not, in fact, somehow connected yeah. to the Russians. Well, that 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 I that's one of those, uh, and this could go down a whole other crazy path, uh, and that may be that maybe we bring in somebody um, to talk about that because if you think about it, if you know doing that alone, why would you? So you're telling so the the idea is is if I don't sell to Russians. Or I don't steal, quote, yeah. Russian. Th- so that that therefore means I'm, it's not a crime in Russia. I don't think that's true. <laughs> or that there's you, these you, Russians. Yeah, that, that, yeah, that there th- are Russian criminals who somehow don't commit yeah. crimes against other so, Russians. Like, that's yeah, not exactly. how I understand so, crime. So that, that's not, that's, yeah, exactly. So it doesn't really work that way. But that would, then you could make some assumptions that, that, that there's the, I, I don't want to say unwritten, or maybe it is written, or agreement from someone in a particular level of government to say, okay, you're going to do this. You don't target the Russians. The day may never come when I ask you to do a favor for me. <laughs> but if you, but th- that type of thing, that, that's, that's a whole other thing of like, are the, uh, yeah. the, the Russian, I'll call it Russian criminal underground. That's a name for one of them. But any of those types of things, this, this is one of those th- that there is, there is a probably a lot more uh, not, it's not government influence is the word, but government. You you wonder if they're if they're like, hey, uh, uh, you keep doing this, but the day may you know when I when I come ask you to do something, you're going to do it as long as you know. That yeah. I wonder if there's. Something. It's a hard line to yeah. police. Police. I think our evil yeah, yeah, was yep, very. Yep. They were very active over the summer, and they said that they weren't going to go after hospitals with ransomware. Uh, you know how how. How chivalrous! Of them. Yeah, yeah, and, it's nice. Yeah, but then I think but, I think they were behind. Unless I'm remembering the the, the group wrong, I thought they were behind the um, the Kaseya incident, which very publicly ended up downstream, stopping several hospitals. So it's a hard yeah. line to know. Like when you're when you're banging around inside a network, dumping your ransomware payload. You're like, oh, is it a hospital? I don't know. Or is it just like an old folks' home? Or or is it in fact you know a yeah. factory a factory that makes you know guns that are docking? Well, and, that's right. And that's one of those other parts. It's like yeah, hey, uh, that's nice that uh, you you've said that you're not going to target hospitals, so therefore you shouldn't be. No, you, you don't get to decide that. Meaning, <laughs> uh, you, you know, you get to, well, I'm I'm not a criminal because I didn't attack the hospital. No, but that's but you did everybody else. So like you know, it's, you don't get to say. Well, I'm not as bad. It doesn't. <laughs> whatever, whatever gets you to sleep at night. <laughs> That's either. exactly. If that helps, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's either I imagine them like either getting to sleep at night in their in their small basement apartment in Eastern Europe, or conversely, in their gigantic, you know, 
on their uh, mega yacht. Yeah, it's com- <laughs> commando style pad, right? Like uh, Pablo it's Escobar a- style pad with helicopters. Exactly. Exactly. Their their evil underground lair that is looks like something out of a James Bond movie. Aren't these guys? They're all supposed to be like on ships that are in international waters, using satellites to connect. That's really what they're. I think to that, or on like, offshore oil platforms. Or they, or they buy their own submarine. Yes. They have their own, it's a, yeah, that's, that's the, well, that, that, that's apparently a thing, right? All those, Surf, well, they're all Russian, right? just to transmit. Yeah, surface That's exactly right. Yeah, they take those old, old Russian, old Soviet submarines that, are, that apparently you can buy, you can buy them on the dark web. Look, if you James, do the same thing. <laughs> if, if, if James Bond tells us anything, it's that, yeah, those old Soviet submarines are now for sale and can be got pretty easily. But yeah. you wonder, like, the sort of celebrity hacker or this, in yeah. this case, he's not, not necessarily a hacker, but the celebrity dark web um, fencer is really what he does. He, yeah. he, he brings yeah. together, you know, stolen goods with buyers of stolen goods who want to commit crimes. And is it okay that journalism makes these folks into celebrities? I, I don't think the tone of the article glorifies the lifestyle. Yeah. I don't think that, I don't think they made that mistake, which you, we've seen from time to time. I think they... It, it is of public value because it, it does report on the law enforcement techniques that were used the first time. And, and I think it gives him, a, frankly, a lot of rope to hang himself on. I think you're right. Is this viewed as a uh, not a victimless crime, but a less than you know, they're not murdering people? It's yeah. not what you'd call a violent crime. So it, does this add more to that, like that, that more, quote, appeal to it that, oh, yeah, this guy, he's he's like a, like a bank robber. Think about it like. Yeah. Uh, like during yeah, the depression, like a, a bank robber yeah. during a depression who doesn't kill anyone in the, in the it doesn't robbery. kill him. Yeah, I, I mean you're like I hate yeah. to say this because I'm making another like uh, in uh, Point Break, right? Ooh. Everybody was kind of was kind of rooting for uh, yeah. Patrick Swayze's gang. They didn't kill anybody. They were just knocking off banks, and they were these cool surfers living their life. Um, the only Johnny the Utah, only killing but, yeah. right the only killing occurs once Johnny Utah intervenes in that last bank robbery, and that's because yep. of Johnny Utah. And so, yeah, there's a lot. I, yeah, is ultimately is stopping these guys from doing what is a property crime, yep. uh, worth interventions that could risk human life. And there's protocols yep. that that I think maybe I, I remember Silk Road had like people on it. I mean, Silk Road. Had, yeah, yeah, yeah. You could there's buy some, people. I don't remember if uh, I don't remember if Alpha Bay was was that bad. If it had human trafficking elements, but yeah. assuming it did, I think then yeah, it's. It's not too bad. And the, and the victim of these crimes, like ultimately all this stuff just comes back to some insurance pocket in the U.S. that pays out when these PII mm-hmm. things are sold. So, you know, that's why it's really hard to get cyber insurance these days. And that's why yeah. the cost of doing business with banks, you know, might be changing. So I think a lot of this stuff, someone pays for it eventually. And it's mm-hmm. better not to have this up. Not to mention the rocket launchers that may or may not be be out there being, being used <laughs> against American soldiers but, they, 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 or anybody maybe a, for that matter yeah but he's not yeah. a yeah no is he yeah if you're ranking criminals yeah you know he's he's up there but not he's not um you know he's not putting uh ricin in the in in, in the water or whatever it might be yeah, yeah see that's it yeah uh, that's well, maybe we got to get some uh, cyber criminologists on here one of these days to talk through the differences yeah. because yeah because that's an interesting topic and, and it, it fits with a lot of things we're seeing you know the ranges I know this is going to kind of go a little off uh, but uh, you know but you, you know we, we hear a lot of talk of like cyber war uh, and cyber attack and nation states and and, and this type of thing you know uh, the, these cyber crimes are they're they're bad and some of the you know millions of dollars in scope. Uh, but it's not. Uh, but they're not. 
they're not violent criminals. There's not there's not murder. So does that mean you know where does it where does it fall in the in the grand scheme of uh, you know and that same type that yeah. it goes that same type of part. I know people have talked about if somebody uh, breaks into the power grid, well we're gonna we're, we're gonna go and, and yeah. use a cruise missile on their power grid. Is that the I mean you know right where, or you think a, think yeah. about a churning attack? So you can you can buy password password username and password pairs on this right yeah. now and. That username and password pair from a well-known data breach, maybe it has thousands of pairs. They bundle that into a script and then they fire that against a water treatment plant. Yeah. Right. And then and they're just yeah. trying to see, okay, there's no multi-factor. I'm just going to do a churning attack. Yeah. And, I, and like, I get yeah. in. So yeah, that, that though, if you take it to its conclusion, could end in death and violence and destruction. Yeah, so I, yeah. I see. But yeah. the question we should ask, I, this is what I'd like to know the answer to is how does... Homeland Security or, or, or the FBI. And I just, you know, it's been seven or eight years since I was a, a federal prosecutor. So I, I wonder what the current strategy is. How do they make decisions about, yeah. do you put a thousand hours into trying to take down like a Silk Road or do you use that time to stop a hundred predators? You know, like, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, it's, it's, it, it is a zero sum. You only got so many agent hours and, and you yep. know, you got to do it. And how do you make those hard decisions? And, you know, because taking down something like Silk Road is a massive, massive, Undertaking big, and, and, yeah, and the international take down effort. same thing too. Yeah, and you using up all your chits, you using up all your credits with the you know whoever it was, the Australians and the poles and and, and and the ties and you know you're doing a lot of cooperation like this and yeah you know right, well so I think we'll let's work on that because I want to get the answer to that question. Otherwise, you know it, it, we have old intel, you and I, Ernie. I That's right. Yeah, that. we're we're kind of dated. Yeah, yeah, but it's but, cool uh, stuff. But yeah, at the other end of this, I mean, this is what. Um, you know, folks who do Debbie's job, who are pulling that intelligence up. My, my guess is that, you know, she gets in uh, uh, reports like this and turns it into something of use uh, because, right, pretty financial sector, um, a financial sector client. Yeah, and I think that's going to, that'll be interesting to, uh, you know, talk to her a little bit about that, about how, how does she, how does she do what she does and how does she get there? Um, so that said, we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, Uh, We'll talk to Debbie about her life in the cybersecurity world and uh, why her career may not have been love at uh, first sight. Have an idea for a guest or topic? Send an email to info at nopasswordpodcast.com. Okay, welcome back. Our guest is Debbie Janicek. Debbie's an experienced information security professional with extensive experience in operations, threat landscape, and cybersecurity risks to organizations. Debbie, welcome to No Password Required. It is fantastic to have you here with us today. Um, you know, I've I've known Debbie for a few years. Just a little bit of background. We actually uh, haunted the halls of uh, the wonderful Fort Meade together for uh, for a few years, and uh, and uh, she was uh, in the uh, in the naval services. So we share that background. So. Debbie, again, welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. Uh, how, how are things out there in the, yeah, you're out there in the mountains now. So you've traded in the, uh, traded in the, the, the Navy for the mountains. Traded in the Navy for the mountains, um, out there every weekend, but now I'm trading in the mountains for the lakes of Minnesota in a few months. Well, it is the land of lakes up there. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah Minnesota, yeah. that's, that's, yeah, actually big cybersecurity, uh, presence in Minnesota. My organization has a big presence there, and um, I miss Green, so I'm heading that way. Well, the uh, we've gotten to meet a lot of people uh, from Minnesota here in Florida, uh, particularly during the Minnesota winter. So hopefully, we'll get a chance to visit with you in person, <laughs> Debbie. 
Yeah, I do dread Sometimes, the winters. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, you know, it is sort of like, I think winter there is like the summer in Florida that everyone just knows how to deal with it, so it's not quite as bad. Yeah, and I'm from the Midwest, so I'm used to uh, the cold winters. Debbie, could you tell us, could you tell us a little bit about your story? Um, you have a very cool role um, in you know, from the Fort Meade reference, I, I know I want to hear more. So could you tell us a little bit about how you got to where you currently are? Okay. Yeah, it, um, it was a, a very odd route, not, not normal. So I actually started out in college studying the environment. I was going to be an ecologist um, and went to school for a very long time. And then in grad school, I decided to uh, become a naval intelligence officer. So um, I was studying remote sensing and geographic information systems in grad school to save the environment on big scale. And uh, then I went into the Navy and used it for a completely different reason uh, to protect the nation. And um, in the Navy, I uh, was on the USS Abraham Lincoln, and then I went to a different duty station where I was trained as a human intelligence officer. And then when I got out of the Navy, um, I was looking for a job and um, applying at uh, uh, US Cyber Command. And they hired me, uh, because of my human intelligence background, um, to work at US Cyber Command. Um, and I got there and was really confused because I thought a worm was something in the ground. <laughs> I didn't. I had no idea. I was way over my head. Um, I would go to meetings um, and sit there and not understand a word anybody said. And they would change the slide, and there would be a picture, and I'd be like, "Picture." I mean, that, that's all I had. Um, so I, 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 I hated it. I have to admit, I hated it at first because I was like, "I'm going to get out of this as fast as I can." But what they wanted me to do there was um, all source intelligence. So human intelligence is a big aspect of pulling it. Instead of just sitting uh, analysts on the computer, we also needed to um, use people that were around the world to bring in information for those analysts and those analysts to know to ask for that information. So that is what my job okay. was. Um, so I decided really quickly, uh, I, 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 was, I had told myself, because it took me nine years to get through college because I had to put myself through, that I was never going back to school ever. And then I... <laughs> was like, huh, I wonder if I still have the 9-11 GI Bill. And I did. So I went back to, uh, I went to graduate school to UMBC and got my master's degree in cybersecurity. And what, the one class that I really learned everything was cybersecurity 101. What is a worm? What is a Trojan? What is a DDoS? So that is, that really helped me start understanding what I was working with and what I was up against. And it took took a really long time to actually like it and understand it because um, it was, uh, you know, I, my background was not cybersecurity at all. Did you, how did you decide then to make the move from service to the private sector? So after grad school, um, uh, I was asked by a professor to uh, teach a class. So I taught a night class at UMBC um, called Cyber Warfare. Wow. And in those in the in my class was a lot of private sector folks, and you know where Ernie and I came from, um, we know a lot that uh, everybody else didn't know, and they just didn't know what they were up against. And I was like, these people don't know what they're up against. I I could add so much to what what they're doing, and um, it was it was really hard decision and it was really scary decision to jump because you know the security of the government and whatever, but. Um, I did it and haven't looked back since, and it's it's been it's been an amazing adventure. Could you tell us just at a high level, sort of what your roles and responsibilities are in your current position? 
Yeah, yeah. So I run the Cyber Threat Management Org. Uh, so my organization is, um, our job is to reduce the risk to the organization, to the company. And I lead the uh, Cyber Threat Intelligence Team, the Red Team, um, the Cybersecurity Innovations Team, which we build stuff. They build what what tools don't exist and what are those gaps and let's build it so that we can support the organization and then the uh, cyber threat engineering team that that runs uh, one of our tools to support all the bank to you know identify threats to the bank very cool in in that you know since you've held many roles in, in different contexts and places my guess is you have probably a lot of advice for folks what what's some advice that you would give let's say for a former boss of yours Yes, yes, really good question. Um, so I would say when you join an organization, you have to know what your teams are doing. You have to dig in and understand what they're doing. You have to meet each manager you're leading and maybe their team members who are running projects because if you don't understand what we are doing, you can't support us. You can't support us with funding. You can't support us with headcount. You can't support us with the tools we need. And as a manager coming into a new role, your job is to be the expert and to make sure that we are doing our jobs correctly and defending the organization. So if you're not asking the questions and understanding what your teams are doing, then you are not improving what we're doing. And um, that could you know, lead to uh, security issues that don't need to have, have, have to happen because of your expertise that you could give us. Yeah, I think that's that's a, it's a really good point because we, we hear sometimes about the gap between you have skilled folks who are not in a management position and maybe managers who are put in there who, who have a skills gap. And that creates risk for the organization mm-hmm. when that when that's how it's, it's structured. Yeah, I like to like in my current role in every role, I dig in um, and I don't mean micromanage. I don't mean that at all. But I just need to understand what you are doing Um, uh, so like each team I've met with and then my managers, managers I've met with, and sometimes, uh, they're people that are doing the actual work I've met with, um, so that I get a clear understanding and, you know, just in five months here, I've, I've, you know, gotten headcount for the cyber threat intelligence team because, okay, we need to be doing more actionable intelligence. And, and so if I didn't dig in, I wouldn't have known that. Um, so it, it, and then. And, and then you understand who your skills are, who, because I'm, you know, I'm not the technical expert, they are. So I need, so that I can identify who I can pull into meetings to support me. Like, I can't go into that meeting alone, I don't know what they're talking about. So I bring the experts with me. I learned that in the Navy, always bring your experts with you. Yeah, bring in the chief. <laughs> yeah, yep, yep, always the chief, yep. <laughs> so what's one that, what's like the, your biggest, you know, the difference between public sector and, and, the, and the private sector? Uh, because you know we do a lot of we talk to a lot of folks that are you know on both sides of it and uh, and then there's some that are, you know we'll have programs with veterans that are transitioning and oh I want to go work for the government but uh, but, you, but you've gone over um, to I mean to the complete private sector not not government contract or anything mm-hmm. uh, completely outside mm-hmm. I mean like you said you never look back so uh, you know how do you, what do you, how yeah. do you th- and I would never go back yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Only because, I mean, the government was great. Loved it. Loved the people there, the camaraderie. Great mission. Um, But I find that I make more impact. Um, Not only do I make an impact 
quicker because we can move faster. Um, and if, if you think of financial institutions, um, we're, we're, we're on, on it. Mm-hmm. We work with all the other financial, yeah. financial institutions. We work with the government. Uh, we share information. We work with law enforcement. I mean, we are protecting people's money. We are protecting uh, critical infrastructure. So they react really quickly. Um, you know, it's easier to get, easier and faster to get funding. It's easier and faster to get headcount. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's still bureaucracy that you have to jump through. But um, when you come to the government and, and people talk bureaucracy, you're like, ah, it's all right. We got it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, awesome. it, 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 it's just, I mean, it, it's, uh, I mean, it, it's night and day on how fast you can, you can move. Is that, I mean, you've, likely had some pretty serious adventures in your time. Can you, can you tell us about an adventure maybe that you had and, you know, what are the more adventurous things you've ever done? Oh gosh. Yes. I do lots of adventures. So, um, I, I have several, one of my, a few of my favorites, one was canyoning in Switzerland where you had to rappel 200 feet down into the canyon. You had to wear a dry suit cause the water was very cold. And the only way to get out of the canyon was to, you know, jump off of cliffs 25 feet down into water. At one point we had to zip line. And when they said, let go, if you didn't let go, you would smash against the rock face on the other side. So it was like an all day adventure, like climbing out to get out of the canyon um, the most recent, right before COVID, which was a big vacation. So it was awesome that I got to have that before we had locked everything down. Um, I went to Vietnam and did a five-day motorcycle, um, Don Kars Geopark, way north by the Chinese border. And when you're on a motorcycle on those roads, you're really taking your life into your own hands. <laughs> Stayed at homesteads and ate local food. It was amazing. <laughs> I did a similar thing, I think, at Space Mountain. Um, yeah, very similar. Yeah. It sounds like. very similar. <laughs> it's exactly the same. <laughs> same thing. How do you balance that? Like, so you must spend a lot of time indoors, but knowing that you sort of have this desire to do these adventures, how do you, is this what allows you to stay indoors so much that you know that this is coming? Like, yeah. how do you balance those two things? Um, okay. I, um, I, I really fight for work-life balance. I really push my people for work-life balance because, um, if you like, if I don't get my workouts in, if I don't get my adventures in, I'm no good to anybody. Um, it is my, um, it is my time. Um, so the weekends are my time. Although sometimes, you know, you still in cybersecurity, you have to be available. So I bought this really expensive, uh, Garmin that I text my boss when I leave. I'm like, if you have to contact me, you can text to this thing. And then I know I have to get out of the back country and, and to a computer. So, um, I do make sure I'm available to a point um, as I get, like, I've only been here five months as I get my teams to where I need to be. I'll be like, hey, this person is a person you contact. If anything happens, I'm going to be off the grid. So it's just, yeah, just you have to you have to do that balance. It, cybersecurity could, I mean, you could sit on your computer all day, all night in a dark room. Um, and that's just not healthy. Debbie, was there anything that you'd look back like in your childhood or your high school time that you say, okay, these experiences have made me a better cyber professional? Like, can you draw a through line to something that happened, you know, growing up that makes you good at what you do now? I mean, yes and no. I wouldn't say that it, it, it was a direct contributor, but I, like, when I was growing up, I wasn't the best student. I was really good at... Um, hanging out with friends in the liquor store parking lot to find somebody to buy us beer. That was, <laughs> that was what I did. <laughs> <laughs> I 
That's not nothing. That's, that's human that's intelligence. So, no, right. so I was not a good student. Um, I was more interested in who's having the next party and where is it at and hanging out with friends. Um, I actually had my high school, one of my high school teachers gave me a D minus in algebra so I could graduate. Um, but what I did know is that, um, you know, growing up with not a lot of money, um, I knew I wanted to do something, have something, and I wasn't the traditional person and, and I don't want to categorize people, but you know, my friends would talk about going to college, getting married, having kids, staying in Michigan where I was like, I'm going to be a spy. I'm going to travel the world. And so I was always, my mom called me a dreamer. Um, so I knew in order to do what I wanted to do, I needed to go to college. So it was right when I graduated high school, I was like, all right, I got to stop partying. I really need to focus. And, um, of course, because of my track record, um, we didn't have a lot of money anyways, but what we did have, they certainly weren't going to give it to me for college. <laughs> so, and I didn't give them any reason to believe I could do it. Uh, so I started working full time and had to put myself through college. And as soon as you're paying for yourself, you get really good grades really fast. Yeah, um, locks you in so, real, yeah, yeah. 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 But, yep. So, um, I think, um, just the way I lived my childhood, uh, I knew eventually I would have to buckle down and do something to, to get to all those fantasies I fantasized about. And, yeah. and so that's what helped lead me to where I am today. Why the Navy? So, um, yeah, I don't want to bash any military, but anyways. <laughs> no, listen, we expect that. We, we, we encourage that. We encourage a little inter-service rivalry. It's, that's, yeah, that's so, so. Back to, I mean, this was 20 years ago. And you're going to pick uh, on the Marines, aren't you? You're going to pick on the Marines. So Marines and Army, there was really no, um, there was no, at that time, uh, not a whole lot of opportunity for women. So it was between Mm. the Navy and the Air Force. And the Air Force would have paid off my student loans, but for two reasons, I didn't choose them. One, the Navy had way better, you know, way better duty stations. Um, And no argument there. Just. I just thought the Navy was tougher. <laughs> so I chose the Navy. And was it tougher than the Air Force? Now that you've, now that you've transcended yeah, the, yeah, the time, yes. you look back. It, yeah. actually, it actually was like in Afghanistan, we used to break into, I don't want to say break in. We used to just, because <laughs> I was wearing civilian clothes there. So I could pretend I was Air Force and I would go to their chow hall because they had way better food. Um, they do. So, yeah, they and their deployments were three months. I'm like, what? You're only here for three months? How is that possible? <laughs> so, yes, yes. They treat their people well. Yes. Yeah. Well, the story goes is that uh, the uh, the other services, if they get a base, they go and build all their infrastructure. You know, they build like if you're in, Air, if you're in the, the Navy, they build the shipyards. If you're in the Army, they build the ranges. In the Marines, they do that same type of thing. And then they say, well, we're out of money. And they... And the Congress says, "Well, you got tents, sleep in them." The Air Force, on the other hand, goes and builds the goes and builds the uh, the uh, the golf course, and then they they build fancy building and that are like hotels. And then they say, "We're out yeah. of money. We, we can't." And they say, "Oh, well, here's some more money. Go build your airport." So, yep. Yeah. No. <laughs> yep. I always wondered why there were golf courses on Air Force bases, and now. Oh I know. yeah, yeah. Well, that's because they they they. they you know, and, and Debbie, actually, this might tie it. Maybe they cracked the uh, work-life balance thing right. They said, you know what, we're going to 
so that you can take care of yourself off the plane. Maybe, maybe, maybe yeah. they were pioneers yeah. and we just didn't know it then. Maybe they I, are. I met an Air Force woman who never deployed and she's like, well, they wanted me to deploy, but I told them I wasn't going to. I was like, you get to say no? <laughs> I don't think you get to. T- I didn't think you got to tell them no. I didn't think yeah, that happened. I didn't, I didn't think that happened either. Yeah. Another one that somebody uh, told me once to say, yeah, I had a really. So if you went on temporary duty, if you went on things and people would say, oh, yeah, I had a really cool uh, temporary duty. I never had that. That typically temporary duty meant you were going to work really long hours in some place that was really bad. Yep. There was nothing cool about it. But they used to, and you oh, yeah, slept really in a cool tent? <laughs> yeah. You slept in a tent or a conics box? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, what is this cool thing? I don't, I don't know what that yeah. means. But, yeah, so you're out there in uh, Colorado now. Um, mm-hmm. And then move, move into uh, uh, Land of What are you looking forward to living uh, again? Up there, land of lakes, a lot of lakes, a lot of open spaces. Uh, I mean, that seems like right up your yeah. alley. I don't know about it motorcycling. Is, it but, is uh, it is perfect up my alley. So I, uh, from Michigan, Lake Superior has always been my favorite place in the world. Even I've lived all over the world and traveled, still Lake Superior. So I am trying to get as close to Lake Superior as I can, and I will live two hours and 15 minutes from it. Just the rugged shores of Lake Superior awesome. are just the most amazing thing. Well, the legend lives on from the Chippewan down to the big <laughs> lake they call Gitchigumi. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, that's a reference to the classic Gordon Lightfoot song, Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Uh, Gordon sure Lightfoot is iTunes. amazing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I actually went and, I went and saw him um, downtown at the Paramount in Denver. I was like, he's so old. Are you I kidding gotta go me? See I got to go see him now. Yeah, yeah he's not going to be around ago. much longer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. How, how did he sound? How did he sound? Wonderful. He, I mean, yeah, the old troubadour. Yeah. Yeah. It is the kind of show that age that probably lasts and ages well because it's storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. Did, 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 yeah. Um, did he? I mean, did he do all the all the all the big? I mean, he had to do Edmund Fitzgerald, right? I mean, does oh, he yeah. still do that one oh, yeah. or is that one? Yeah. No, nope, he still does that. Yeah. That's like his most famous one. Yeah, he still does that. Yeah, one. Edmund Fitzgerald, and, Sundown. You know the classics. Yeah. Yep. And it was amazing. Like the whole audience was singing along to almost everything. Yeah, that's God. That's funny. Yeah, it, um, that's that, I got to tell you, that's one of the things that's going to go up in the uh, the Hall of Fame of the podcast. Uh, Le, uh, Edmund Fitzgerald, uh, <laughs> Gordon Lightfoot concert <laughs> attendee. That's you know, there's, there's not too many of those around. Um, yeah, and and that ought to be good. It'll it'll give us some uh, good uh, airplay and connections up in Canada. You know, because he's he's big in Canada. Yep. Yeah. Just one question on to the to your master's in cybersecurity, because that, that is a question that comes up a lot through uh, Cyber Florida is, you know, sort of what is the value for a mid-career professional who's looking to make that pivot to going to a graduate program to focus that? Did you have to come into that with, you know, how much knowledge do you need of cybersecurity to get something out of that? Can you learn it during the master's program? What's your advice to someone who's thinking about going there who may not have a so, tech background? yeah. I don't, this was, you know, this is when the cybersecurity master's degrees were just coming out, okay. really, I, it, it, you know, 2011-ish. Um, right. And so it was, I, I don't know what the requirements are today, but the cybersecurity degree I got was geared towards um, mid-career folks that were looking to get into leadership positions. So it was, it, it, 
it had some technical courses you could choose from, but not a whole lot. It has a, a lot more now that you can choose from, but back then it really didn't. So uh, because it was a master's program, you didn't have to have a, a, a an undergrad in cybersecurity to get into it, but you had to have an undergrad in something. So um, it, it was, I mean, I, I do recommend if you, you know, can get into a master's program, it really does help your career. Were there other former military folks or current military folks who were with you in the class? Um, no, but there were several that uh, started taking it after I, while I was in it. They're like, oh, cool, I'm going to look into that and do that as well. I had several, a couple of coworkers in, in, in my office that started it as well. Debbie, you've been a part of you know, lots of teams, both as a team member and as a leader on teams. What's the most successful team effort that you've experienced in your career? Good question. So I have a very specific um, uh, example because coming out of Department of Defense, um, you know, you you have your your colleagues, your your camaraderie, um, you know, military. Uh, it, it's amazing. I went to private sector, and I was you know iffy on what that would be like in the private sector, um, and I have to say it's great. Um, so my first cyber threat intelligence team, I was hired at a separate company to um, uh, build their capability. And I came on board and there was five people and doing great reports if you worked for the government, um, but not targeting what a financial institution needs. Um, so, at, at, and the, the customers they were supporting were like, yeah, thanks. What is this? And not, not really paying attention. And, and what do you guys do anyways? And, and so it wasn't making the impact it needed to make. Um, so I took the team of five um, and they were just wonderful of like the listening to my vision. And then they helped me implement my vision of, okay, what are priority intelligence requirements? Who are we supporting? What is, what is the threat to the financial institution? And who should our customers be? It should be instant response, of course, threat hunt, of course, uh, you know, different vulnerabilities management. And then we also have to look at the strategic teams and what they need. Um, so started growing that team and targeting the, the intelligence to them and also trying to build relationships because there's, you know, I'm not going to call them by name, but one particular org that kept, you know, I had a meeting with, this is what we can do for you, crickets. Well, we can also do this, crickets. And so it took two years to knock down their door, but I'm tenacious. So I kept doing it and, and finally got one person like, this is awesome. And um, uh, that particular team that wouldn't listen to us became our best customer and our intelligence eventually led to, eventually led to arrests. Um, it, it, so to taking this small private sector team um, and building it into a large team uh, that w- at first was like, go away, we don't know what you do, to what does Intel have? What does Intel have? Not making decisions without Intel. And, and intelligence, that, that's how it works. No, no commander should make a decision without all the information. Um, so to take that team from what it was to the team that had the go-to team to ask for what is the intelligence. So um, amazing team, uh, amazing talent. And, um, you know, to, ha- to be able to take private sector folks that didn't really understand intelligence to be the analysts they were was just, just an amazing experience. That's pretty cool. I mean, that's interesting that you were able to take that intelligence process and then, and then translate that and, and get people to... Uh to implement it because it's that's that's where we're again it's if it's not impact if you're not 
if people aren't using it, then it's not, I mm-hmm. want to say that's one of the things, then it's not intelligence. If it's not being used, yeah. then it's just like information. Pick a coworker. Tell me about a, one of them that had the the biggest biggest impact on your on your career. Yeah, yeah. This is a, a really easy answer for me. Uh, Commander Hayes, who was then Admiral Hayes, and now he's a retired admiral. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. He was at, yeah he was at yeah, the fort yes. for a while as well. Yes. So uh, when I was a young ensign, got to my first ship, he was the commander of the uh, uh, we called it Civic and the Intelligence Center on mm-hmm. the ship, and. Um, it, just his leadership style was, was just amazing. Um, you know, it, it, my team screwed up one time on watch for an exercise and we missed a piece of intelligence and I got pulled out of my rack um, and had to go talk to him. And he's like, you guys missed this. You got to do this better. You watch this. Okay, now go back to your rack. I mean, he would just call you on it and then send you on your way or, hey, hey, Debbie, I need you to do this. Your team to do this. And he would trust you to do it. Just, just the way he led um, just was, uh, you know, inspiring. And I've modeled my entire leadership career because I've been a leader for 20 ish years now, um, after his leadership style. And, um, I received the biggest compliment from a employee that I had at a previous job. Um, he got a leadership position at another company and he was, I was, we were talking and he, um, said, I, you know, I'm really, nervous about how to do this but every time I don't know how to do something and how am I going to lead these people I think I'm going to do what Debbie did and so I I I immediately thought well you're not doing what I did you're doing what Commander Hayes did and so I reached out to Commander Hayes and sent him a very nice message on um uh I got this compliment and I just want to know it's it's actually your compliment um and he came back and he said, I'm overwhelmed with, um, with that compliment and thank you so much. And he also let me know that uh, the Intel team on the USS Abraham Lincoln was his best team. We were the dream team. And it, at that time in 2000, 2001, women had only been mm-hmm. on ships, I believe, since 1996, so still fairly new. And he said, uh, we were the only team in the fleet to have four women officers in the Intel Center. So it was, yeah, I was pretty, I I didn't know that. So it was nice to reach out to him and it was nice. I I don't think we, we impact so many people's lives around us and I don't think we realize it. So when we have a chance to tell them, I think we should. Yeah. Well, I think that's actually pretty sound advice is uh, do what Debbie did. I think that's, (laughs) (laughs) I think if they follow you, Follow your lead. I think that's the uh, yeah. the right approach. Yeah. Thank you. Well, after a short break, we will return with Ernie's lifestyle polygraph. Stay with us. You are listening to the No Password Required podcast. We cover cybersecurity and a lot of other stuff. All right, welcome back. All right, Debbie, as you know, as part of uh, the requirements to obtain a national security clearance position, uh, sometimes you are required to participate in something that's known as a lifestyle polygraph, which is designed to determine your suitability uh, for positions of trust in the United States government. Well, here, on No Password Required, we have our own version of it, in which we ask a series of questions designed to probe the depths of the mind of, the, uh, of our guests on our show. Are you ready? For our version of the lifestyle polygraph. Yes. (laughs) Okay. 
<laughs> All right. So these these some people find these questions rather uh, rather intrusive. All right. Here we go. First question. All right. If you were queen of the world, you were queen of the world, and all of tech's resources were at your fingertips, what global problem would you use machine learning to solve? Global warming. There you go. Global uh -huh. warming. I, I, I don't know how that would be done. I can't go into specifics, but that would be, that would be my target. Okay, so... Or, or, from, or from a financial sector aspect, fraud. How about global warming fraud? Is that a thing? No, no. Is that, is that global a thing? It should be a thing. Is my global, <laughs> yeah. global warming separately from fraud. Work, fraud, personnel, global warming. I think if you sell solar panels that you know don't work, you could get There's your global you warming fraud. Yeah. I, but I, I can tell you, like, if you talk to someone who's 60, they bring up global warming from time to time. Someone who's 40, they bring it up a little more frequently. And then if you talk to, like, a group of middle school kids... It's all they want to talk about. So if you would yeah. like, if you would ask this question to them, they're not going to, you know, they're going to say global warming. It's really the younger generation feels a certain way about it, and they'll tell you about it. Um, yeah, so they're, they're the ones that are going to have to grow happy. up with it the worst. So I, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> and as someone who drives in the rain in Tampa frequently, you know, yeah, it's not getting better. Yeah, well, especially those of us living living down here in the uh, in the flatlands of Florida, right. where the water table tends to. <laughs> Uh, maybe I'll make. Little... Maybe we'll make an offer on your place in Colorado, Debbie. Yeah. Well, here at Global Warming, you have to breathe the smoke all summer from the forest fires. Oh, that's right, from the fires. Yeah. <laughs> yeah geez. Yeah. And I suppose I, we got. Yeah. And I think, like right now, right, what what machine learning is being used to solve is like which ad should go on the website in front of which person. Yeah. Like it's being used to solve things that aren't like this, right? Yeah, exactly. I, yeah. I mean, it, so, it, it has so much potential. Think about global hunger and, and using it to what what ships are passing, what country that has a food shortage, and if there, I I don't know. I'm just just spitballing here, but there, I mean, there's so much you could do. But do nonprofits have the technology to do machine learning to fix those problems? Yeah, to access those types of. Um, mm -hmm. I think we're. I, I mean, I think we're, we're getting there. Someone's. I mean, uh, what is it? Somebody just came out with the past couple of days. Uh, a pretty significant uh, quantum, quantum-enabled computer. I guess I don't want to say a quantum computer, but I mean, you, I think you're going to start seeing those things. You're going to, and the pace that all this stuff happens from the technology side is just increasing exponential. Mm -hmm. So you're going to start. To, I'll call it the de the democratization of uh, of technology. And l lest we forget that machine learning is in your pocket right now. With, well, the uh, good, the good people <laughs> just need to they need to use it for the thing that that would help. That's I mean, right. Think about like television technology, how amazing it is that we can watch anything on this gorgeously rendered piece, and then I end up just watching Real Housewives of Miami or something on it. Right? I don't. <laughs> this is true. Yes. I could be making myself a better person. I'm choosing yes. a hard left. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you were a fan of the Real Housewives. Well, yeah. I, well, there's a lot of things. He keeps a lot of things it's secret. Mostly Great British Bake Off. Mostly Which is a fine show. Yeah. A fine show. Fine show. All right. Number two. Second question. Second question. Can you teach us a lesson that being in nature helped teach you? I can. So a really good example of this. And, and I didn't, you know, nature to me is where I go out and I, um, it's my Zen time. It's my enjoyment time. 
Um, I never thought of using it to help me with work life. It was just my break. And I had, um, you know, a leadership program where I got a leadership coach for a year. And she asked, what do you want to work on um, in your career? And I'm like, procrastination. Who doesn't procrastinate? You know, I don't want to deal with that, deal with it later. And then I'm, you know, working half the night to get it done. Um, I'm like, I really need to work on procrastination. Or I don't want to answer that email. It's too hard to answer. Uh, So uh, I really need to just focus and get it done. So I need to work on focus and procrastination. So she had a really unique way of doing it and, and took what I love, nature, and how, how, how can we use nature to help you deal with this, the, these things you want to deal with? So she would, you know, on your hike this weekend, collect one thing from nature, a feather, a rock, whatever it is. Um, and then we would talk about it. Okay, on your hike this weekend, um, observe, just observe. What do you observe? What do you see that could help you deal with procrastination? I'm like, well, it's fall and there, birds are flying south squirrels are eating everything they can um, bears are eating everything they can before to hibernate and if they don't they can't procrastinate on that or they die <laughs> so just try to <laughs> try to put nature in perspective of um, procrastination of focus and they're really focused you can walk by a squirrel it doesn't even look at you as it's shoving its mouth because it's, it's getting ready for winter so um, it was just really interesting how she did it and, and it, it really did help yeah yeah it's incredible yeah. No, I, I guess that that so I uh, I spend a fair bit. I, I I like I fish a lot, so I'm out. So that's my my Zen moments are, are out there too. Yeah, because you know uh, it's where you can actually get into your your space and you can just see that's all you really think about, and that helps you mm-hmm. detach. Um, so I think I think I think you're you're spot on with uh, a lot of that. You know, learning things from uh, from nature because I think we you know, generally it's odd because. Uh, we are in a technology-enabled world on a technology-enabled podcast, um, but it's good that we can connect to the, uh, you know, the, the outside yeah. world because it's so there's good data that taking a walk, particularly in, really anywhere, it doesn't have to be in nature and urban environment, yeah. but just taking a walk, your mind still works on the problems that you had at work, and can, you can sometimes come to breakthroughs that way better than you can if you just try yeah. to grind it at the desk. So sometimes taking a break and doing something physical like that is is a good thing. Yeah. I, t- I tell I try to tell my bosses that all the time. How come you're not at your desk? Well, boss, <laughs> I read this article this is, in Science. And yeah, this is some really important stuff. <laughs> Thinking about strategy. All right, number three. Science here we go. Told me to go fishing. That's right. Hey, listen. It's not me. It's not me. Science. It's not, I, you know. I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna fight it. All right, number three. Here we go. This is a good one. This is a real. This one's gonna. Yeah, this is gonna get you. What was your favorite? Go to order at your favorite childhood restaurant. What was your go to order at your favorite childhood restaurant? So I don't know if you guys know what Big Boy is. It was a big, <laughs> it was a big Midwest. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Slim Jim, and for dessert, hot fudge ice cream cake. And I was nice. just in North. Yeah, I was just in Northern Michigan, um, up, up, uh, way up north on Lake Lake Huron. And they had a big boy. And we were, my sister lives in Colorado. We were like, big boy. And so we had to all go to big boy and get Slim Jim and a hot fudge ice cream cake. And it actually was just as good as it was when I was a kid. See, that's, yeah. there you go. That's, that, that is, that's the, that's the poster. That's the marketing poster for, for a franchise restaurant everywhere. 
it's still the same, <laughs> regardless of where you go. Yeah. There's something about a dessert, too, like a fast food dessert. If they keep it the same, it's just incredible. Like, like something like that. Well, These Dairy Queen so made good. a whole, uh, that's their whole thing. Right? That's it. I mean, yeah. that's. Yeah. But like, it's, it's, it's magic. It can take you right back to when you first had it or yep. when you had it as a kid. Yep. It really yep. is something that, in a way that pictures even can't do. All right, here we go. Number four. Is failure a good or bad thing? Failure. Failure, yeah. Failure is a is a really good thing. If you don't fail, you're not trying. I mean, that's where you learn. That's where you learn to be better next time. That's where, I, you know, I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what's the, along those lines? The, the uh, where's the one where you go? I'm not going to do that again. What's 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 a good one for? What's what's a good Debbie Janicek? I'm not going to do that again. That was a personal story. (laughs) (laughs) The advice I have gotten that I follow is want to be one notch over where you're comfortable. Not two or three notches, but like a little bit, a little bit more than where you're comfortable doing. That's it. Like one notch higher. And if you make mistakes there, you say, okay, well, I grew a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. That's I I always wonder, you know. You know, the semantics of it, you, you know, the term failure. That's it. We got to come up with a better way because it's not. It's it shouldn't. My opinion, right? It shouldn't be a. It shouldn't be a bad thing. It's like, hey, it, it didn't work. Okay, let's now we know it didn't work. You learn something. Yeah. You don't do it that way, or you take something and you go on. You go on from it. It's not. Yeah. Um, I think the real story you know. is how you handle failure. Is is what makes yeah. you who you are? Because you, you know you could curl up in a ball in a corner and drink a bottle of whiskey. Or you can try harder next time, learn from your mistake, and it just it makes you stronger and and able to handle the next failure better. Like, oh well, I tried. Yeah, and that's and and you know, um, this will lead into the next question, uh, but we could really point the finger at one individual as to why we have gone this way, uh, and that's Yoda. He says, "Do he says, <laughs> do, do do or do it. not. There is no try." So, I mean, it's, yeah. yeah. Although I use that, I use that with my kids all the time when they're like, yeah. well, I'll try it. You can try it. You either jump it in the water or you're not. You don't, yeah. Right? You say, there, do or do not, there is no try. So I've used it for that purpose, but I don't like, yeah. I, I never interpreted it as a way of it's, stopping people from, tra- from, from failing. But it yeah. is, yeah, it could be interpreted that way. Oh, yeah. man, that, this is. Yeah. And, and failure doesn't have to be a punishment. Uh, you know, yeah. a few times in my career, I've been like, well, I really want to try this and want to do this. And, and my guidance from my sister was, if you fail, fail fast and recorrect. That's awesome. I've heard, I've heard that being called harvesting nose. So like, just go out quickly and fail a bunch of times real fast, learn what doesn't work, and then we'll go back. Okay, now let's architecture this yeah. thing. Yeah. Go out and harvest always, some nuts. <laughs> I always tell my team, well, let's just try it this way. I mean, I, I'm people can talk me out of my team can talk me out of things like, hey, I think this is a better direction. And I'll be like, okay, you're right. But sometimes I'll be like, no, let's just try this. And if I'm wrong, then we'll do that. And, you know, it, it is more often than not, it works. But when it doesn't, <laughs> I am not too proud to say, yeah, your idea was better. Let's do that. And yeah, they're like, mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm, told you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, I'm going to say, I'm, let's keeping that, that going here. Let's think about it. Uh, we're going to translate this one. Here's a good one. Here we go. In your personal or professional life, is there a movie character that you can relate to? Mm-hmm. So all-time favorite movie, uh, The Goonies, Mikey. Nice. Well, he's so, the adventure kid. Let's find the treasure. Yeah. yeah. Is that- it's the Sean Astin character, I think. It, yeah. They, yeah. Yeah, that's where they got Samwise from Gamgee for The Hobbit. They saw him in that movie, and they said, okay, you can go on a quest. You can help. That's a great one. Yeah, I haven't seen Goonies. That's uh, uh, Ch- Chester Copperpot was in it, um, but who was the pirate? What was the pirate they were looking? What oh, was yeah. the, sh- the ship? Oh, oh, uh, oh, um, oh gosh! One eyed Willie. It was one eyed. There you go. That's right. There it is. One eyed Willie. I've seen Willie. like sixty times, so <laughs> it just has a cult following. Like I just went to Red Rocks Sorry. a couple years ago and saw it in Red Rocks. It was yeah. amazing to have a couple That's thousand cool. people all quoting the movie, like, hey, you guys. <laughs> Two thousand people yelling that at the same time with Sloth. Not- it was amazing. Yeah. With the baby Ruth, right? Yep. Baby Ruth. Baby, baby, Ruth. <laughs> yeah. And that was yeah. Corey Feldman. That was one of his big movies. He was yes. Mouth. He was mouth in that one. He's had yeah. a, he had a tough, a tough run after that. But yeah, yeah you watch all those folks together and seeing where they went. What a great movie. Help, I'm sure it's data. available to stream. That's I'm good. Sure yeah, I, I haven't seen it in years, but I'm going to do that now. That's everyone's homework who's listening. Let's all watch it. Well, how many times? Uh-huh. Yeah, well, th- think about that when there was a, you know, you were a kid. Heck, even even today. Well, David, this is, got, I, I have to believe, you know, thinking back and looking at what, you know, how you've, you've, you've told us what you're doing now, just, you know, at work and, and, and this, you're, you're, you're like drawing on the Goonies as like a, as a, <laughs> As, as your whole life, it's listen. You know whether it's trying to identify the find the the quote cyber treasure and the in the and fight the bad guys inside cyber, or or you're going off on these grand adventures. Yeah. You know you really you're secretly looking for. I, hey, what's I, that yeah. that old cabin? Right, you want to lift up the grate, and there it is, the yeah. cave. I think you're probably right. Like I have, like I've made sure I've gone to Astoria. Uh, my first Jeep was blue and named Sloth. My second Jeep is Fire Engine Red, and it was named the Inferno after one I really ship. I even See, have look at the this. tire, deep, that's the, tire deep. <laughs> the tire cover that says Goonies Never Say Die with a skeleton. Yeah. See. Oh man. And, and, and like I say, and you and, and and what did you do in Switzerland? Yeah, you're jumping down canyons and going through the what <laughs> come on, I'll tell you what, this is it. You're you are you are living the you are living the Goonies dream. I am Mikey. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Uh, I don't know where we can – we can't really top it from there. So I got to tell you, that uh, that was – you know, I, I got to say thank you very much for uh, for joining us. I mean, this has been this has been great. I mean, you know, traveling down the path of uh, – you know, we covered a lot of ground. I mean, I don't think we can we, – we've gone from Gordon Lightfoot to, you know, to Goonies uh, and everything in between. Uh so thank you again, Debbie. Listen, um, if our listeners want to connect with you, how can they do that? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, so if they can go in and message me on LinkedIn. Yeah. And it's right. been great to be here. Thank you for having me. I mean, if, if, I can, if I can make it into cybersecurity, anybody can. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, thank you very much again. That brings us to the end of our program. So thanks again for joining us. First and foremost, I got to thank my co-host, Jack Clavy. Uh, Jack, as always, is a, is, a, is a pleasure to have him on the show. And thank you, Debbie. Uh, again, uh, I wish you all the best as you, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, Gordon Lightfoot will be on tour again. You can pick him up there and then, uh, you know, and living the Goonies dream. So thank you very much. Everybody else, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the No Password Required Podcast. Send your questions and comments to info at nopasswordpodcast.com. And if you share your info, we'll send you some show swag. I'm Ernie Ferrasso, and thanks for listening, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you for listening to the No Password Required Podcast. The show is produced by Cyber Florida. A special thanks goes out to our friends at Carlton Fields and Cognizant. If you'd like to learn more about the podcast, visit our website, cyberflorida.org slash pod.